my ambition for us today is I want to cover scripture. I want to open up God's word with you in such a way that we would see how our work is a fundamental part of God's good design. Work and good oftentimes don't always go together. But I want you to see how God's design for our work is good. I want you to see that he desires to, un- to save us from an unbiblical view of work and how he sends us and redeems us for satisfying work. And, um, and I think over time, I have 14 pages. We'll see if we get there. Um, I'm a little bit different than Josh, so I'm going to stick to this. And I'm, I'm gonna, uh, we're just going to go through it. We'll see how far we get through this. Um, but I want to say, I think um, you'll probably all know this. Uh, we have great pastors here. We have great staff leaders. We have church planners that this uh, church has sent out to both locally and global locations. And today, however... I am more interested in those who are not what I would call traditional ministry in those roles. I want, to, I want you in this room um, to raise your hand if you are not currently working on staff in a paid role within this church. Just real quickly, raise your hand. You're not getting paid by this church to do anything. You're just here. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a, a guess, and that's probably around 98% of you here. And... Um, you are not in a paid pastoral role. And this is true of the church global. God's people are not fully paid. They are God's people living lives of selfless love to the communities that they live in. And this message is for each one of you. Josh has heard enough of my messages. This is for you. <laughs> you 98% today will uh, see how we are to work, why we are to work, and the fruit of our work. Does that sound good? Let's start in Exodus 31. Exodus 31, verses 1 through 14. So we have two guys, Oheliab and Bezalel. I think those are Cajun names. (laughs) Let's, Let's read. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with Uh, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise an artistic design to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for settings, in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have also appointed him Ohaliab, the son of Ahesamach, of the tribe of Dan. I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony and the mercy seat that is on it and all the furnishings of the tent the table and its utensils and the pure lampstand with all its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of the burning offering with all of its utensils and the basin and its stand and finally worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron, the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priest and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place according to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. We're going to go a little bit into the verses on Sabbath as well. We're not going to spend a significant time on that today. I know that Josh has led on Sabbath and what that means, uh, having coming back from last year. But we can't talk about work without talking about rest. So we go into verse 12. And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say above all, You shall keep my Sabbath. For this is a sign between you and me throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it's holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. 
Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that in the scriptures, we see your spirit at work in your people. We see your people building, working, serving you joyfully, God, for your purposes. And they're pointing others to you through their work. God, I admit that we at times find our identity in other things and not in you alone. We don't find our provision in you alone. Help us today know that we cannot be fulfilled by any other pursuit, which includes our jobs, our salaries, our positions, our wealth even. We need you, Jesus. Would you remove me so that others may hear from you in your word today? Amen. All right, so I'm a recruiter. I have been known to talk fast. I uh, will try to make it through this, but since today is one of my first sermons in a while, uh, you have the freedom, and it's on work, you have the freedom to give me feedback after. Um, so be gracious, but I'm open to it. So let's talk about work. You 98, 98 percenters in here that are working jobs, or, um, or as a mother, or as a student, um, I myself am a Christian who works in the HR field. I own a recruiting company, a for-profit company based in the Middle East in Dubai, Josh shared with you. My wife is a pediatrician, uh, so our kids actually think that my job is staying on the phone all day talking to people, and my wife's job is saving people's lives. So we're still working through what we do uh, with our kids, um, but those, that understanding um, is, 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 it will come over time. We're captivated by the fact that in our roles, we get to be a part of what God's doing in this world. And that's true for each one of you in here as well. I served on staff at an inner city church, believe it or not. Dustin and a few other members had uh, visited us up in Oklahoma City for uh, a number of years. For about six years, we planted this church. There was eight of us, and we just felt called by God to lay down our lives. Very similar to the story of most churches around the world. The gospel has gotten to you because someone has chosen to selflessly say, I'm going to trust Jesus. He's going to say, go, I'm going to go. And that's what we did. We're not anything special. You can tell I, uh, I don't hold anything that is mild, like mildly compelling to the world that I live in, uh, but God used us. And it was during that time that he drew my heart to this world of work. Um, as we were sharing the gospel and witnessing in word, we saw the needs. We saw the needs of our neighbors. You can't turn a deaf ear and you can't turn a blind eye to people that God has put in front of you and say that you are a follower of Christ. So that really stirred my heart. All this to say, I have a very specific, varied background of what you may call vocational work. Been a pastor, owned a recruitment company, married to a wife uh, that's a pediatrician. So when I talk about work, that's my context from what I'm coming from. But when I talk about work today, again, I want to reiterate, you can be unemployed right now and God's got work for you. Uh, I remember uh, many years ago when I was looking for a job and my mom wisely said, Jordan, I know this is hard um, but just remember, those phone calls, those emails, those relationships, those are all work. Do that to the glory of God. Do that work. Even though you're not getting paid right now, do that, and God will see your efforts. So if you're a working mom, if you're a student, if you're at home, this is what today is about. Think about it this way. You've got 40 hours a week, let's say, in your work. You work for 40 years. You do that, that's 80,000 80, hours at a job during your lifetime, if you go to college. So kindergarten through college, we're probably talking another 15,000 hours. If you commute, this is a very common practice here, right? People work in Lake Charles, or people work in Lafayette, or offshore, you can double those numbers. You put a lot of hours into your work. 
So let's put that together as Christians. And let's just wonder, how, how do all these hours fit in God's purposes for our life? And, and his purposes for the world that we live in? If your work is in sales, or if your work as an engineer, if you work as a manager, whatever you do, is this just a way to put food on the table? Or is there, is there more to it than that? How does this fit into the mission of God's glory spreading among the nations as we read in the Great Commission in Matthew 28? How does your job fit into that plan? Because most people in this church family we've already identified are not full-time pastors or staff. You are working in what some may call a secular profession. So does that mean that you're regulated to a role within God's purposes that is minor, that is less than, that is secondary to a more noble role? Or maybe um, is your job only significant if you have a Bible study at lunch at, at, at your workplace, which I encourage. Those are good things. There's nothing wrong with that. Do you sometimes think that um, I do this job for a living during the weekdays and then I, then I serve God on the weekends or weeknights? Um, and then on top of this, you add rest. The science shows you will spend, believe it or not, 20 or 30 years of your life sleeping Josiah Belt may spend 40 years. I have been to his house. That's my, that's my nephew. I give him a hard time, I guess. But what, what, what about those? What about that rest? If you, why did God make you in a way that you have to sleep? Couldn't he just give you the ability to work even more? Look, then you could have the secular job and the Christian job, and you could do them all. Well, we have to work and we have to rest, and we can do both of those for God's glory, believe it or not. These all seem like pretty important questions, right? So let's go back to Exodus 31. Let's think about this together. What's the Bible teaching us about this passage? God has given us, uh, given instructions for building a tabernacle, a place where his glory is gonna dwell, and he's gonna dwell among his people through that tabernacle. So that seems really, really important. We've got sawing, we've got sewing, we've got wood carving, we've got metalworking, we've got stone cutting. All of those are great professions. But one thing, Moses was not the man for all of those jobs. In fact, Moses, if he was anything like me, was not the man for any of those jobs. <laughs> Although I think I would, li- I would like to think I can build things, uh, most of my carpentry work ends with at least a quick trip to the ER for stitches. So God calls out these two guys, Bezalel and Oheliab, and they have the ability, they have the intelligence, they have the knowledge, they have the craftsmanship, they have the artistry to make these things a reality. And we see this in the first chapter of God's word in Genesis 1. God delights in work. What's the difference between Genesis 1 and Genesis 3? Anyone? Is there sin in Genesis 1? No No sin. It's beautiful. Work is fulfilling. Work is in service to the Lord. Work is cultivating new things and resources for God's glory. And it is is not in a place of drudgery and, and, and angst. So from Genesis 1 and verse 27 and 28, we have something, what they call the great, uh, sorry, the cultural mandate. Genesis 1 says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. I know you Cajuns take that serious. But remember here, this command to work and to take these raw resources and to make things that, like I said, we call this cultural mandate, as theologians call it, 
started before sin entered the world. That's important. Our work was not a result of sin. Instead, from the very beginning, creation work was a part of God's good design. Since the beginning, God created man and woman. He's providing for them. He's nourishing them. He's sustaining them. He's giving them breath. Go back to our Exodus passage. What happens in verse three? It says, I have filled him with the spirit of God. I have filled him with the ability to be intelligent. I have filled him with the knowledge and the craftsmanship. Why does Basil have these gifts? God gave them to him. So I, I know you're in this room thinking, well, you know what? I've earned it. I've worked really hard. You don't know how often I wake up super early before anyone else. I stayed up late studying for my degree. I built my business, Jordan. You don't know. And I don't doubt that. But where'd you get the energy to do that work? Who gave you the mind to study in school? The only reason you have what you have is because God in his grace gave it to you. He's working in you even when you don't acknowledge him. Now, I hope today you see him for who he is. And if you haven't acknowledged him, that today would be the day you see that it is him working all of these things for his glory through us. But in, verse, uh, in Exodus 31, we see again, Bazalel uh, and Oheliab and anyone else, God chooses to work through them. Get this, God chooses you and you and me, sometimes Josh, lots of other people, <laughs> to accomplish his purposes. That's breathtaking. Do you know how weak I am? Do you know how fragile I am? Do you know how not intelligent I am? God, in his love, in his purposes have chosen us. I appreciate the way Martin Luther, the theologian, describes this reality when we pray the Lord's Prayer. Everyone knows the Lord's Prayer or maybe have heard it. We are in a deep South cultural Christian environment. Everyone in my context of the world have not heard the Lord's Prayer, but here you have it. And Martin Luther says, when we ask God to give us our daily bread, how does he do this? You know what he gives our daily bread through? The means he does it? The farmer who planted it and harvested the grain. The baker who made the flour and the bread. The person who prepared the meal and brought it to us. He goes on to say, God could easily have given us grain and fruit without plowing and planting. I would appreciate that some days, but he doesn't want to do that. Instead, God works for us and works through us, which is why from the very beginning of the Bible, what, God, what did God do? Genesis 2.15 says, the Lord took man, he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Work is good. Do you see this? God created us. He's working in us. He's sustaining us. You know, maybe sometimes in church um, and in our culture, we view work almost like it's a necessary evil in the world. You know, I, gotta, I just got to do this. I got to make the money. I got to make it to the weekend. I got to get by. I have to suffer through menial, import, less important jobs than others. Or maybe I've, I've got to climb the corporate ladder to, to, to really get my identity. That kind of thinking is not from God's word. And we need to be able to confront that. Work is a foundational part of the good design of God for our lives. We are made in his image. And just as he is a working creator, we are working creatures, which brings us dignity to every kind of work that we do. Unless, of course, you're sinfully maybe stealing cars or selling drugs. Those would not be included in the list of God-glorifying work. But assuming your work doesn't go against God's word, no matter what you're doing, you are reflecting the image of God. This makes every type of work important. Here in Exodus 31, we have those two characters again, and they're helping people. Their projects are important. 
We think about this today. It's a good thing that all types of people do all types of work, and here's why. Think about if all of us were pastors. Like Josh, if you were a pastor like Josh, that would be uh, a horrible thing for the sustenance of this world. It would be a wonderful thing because we would all be able to teach the Bible and equip others. But we wouldn't really know much other things to do. What if we were all recruiters like me? That would be horrible. I'd know how to help people find jobs. I just wouldn't have any jobs for them. What if we were all salesmen and women? We wouldn't have any really products to sell. What if we were all police officers? We'd be safe, but we'd also be hungry. What if we were all politicians and lawyers? Well, we'd all be in trouble. Uh, We'd never get along. (laughs) But we need every single one of us. We all have a part in God's kingdom. We all have a part in this. All human work, however lowly the, the world may say it is, is able to be dignified because the spirit of God has ordained it. It reflects the glory of our working God. We are unique. The work God calls us to is unique. We should remember this. God assigns us to that work. It's not the world that you work in that de- determines your relative worth based on your job title. You hear that? Do not let the world determine your relative worth based on the job that you have. This is critical for us to understand so that we never set up a false dichotomy between those whose work is noble and those whose work is less noble. Some may say pastors are more noble than bankers. Some may say missionaries are more noble than telemarketers. You know what William Tyndale said? The person who translated the Bible into the common language so me and you can read it? He said, if we look externally, there are differences between washing ditches and dishes and preaching the word of God. But as touching to please God, there is no difference at all. That is a biblical view of work, and there's no difference when done in the honor of the Lord between preaching and washing dishes. You got to say, Jordan, seriously? Come on. You believe that? You believe preaching and washing the dishes are just as important to the glory of God? Absolutely. Take house cleaning. Let's use our imagination of what will happen if it's not done. Many of us who have kids don't even have to use our imagination. Before long, there's going to be germs all over the house. There's going to be viruses and infections growing. They're going to make you and me sick, and we're going to die. Thank God for the work of cleaning. That's absolutely fundamental. Important work of all kinds is dignified and a part of God's beautiful design for our lives. God sustains us. So what about God and rest? God blessed the Sabbath day. Again, I I encourage you to go back to some of Josh's teachings and others uh, that you've heard here on Sabbath rest, but I'll just touch on it briefly. Bezalel and Oheliab, even though their work is in the tabernacle, and it's really important, they were not to be so consumed with that work that they couldn't put the work aside. God told them that. Rest involves what? We have to trust God. When we put aside our work, we're basically saying, I, I fully believe in your providence, in your care for me, God. It's not just the work of my hands that sustains me. It is you, the living God. And we see this in Genesis uh, 3, 17 through 19. I'll put it up here on the screen. Sin has affected the way we work and rest. Remember, Genesis 3 is where the fall happens. Genesis 1, creation. Genesis 3, sin enters the world. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed 
is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken in, for you are dust, and the dust you, to the dust you shall return. That sounds bad. That also sounds like a lot of the work that we do. It's just hard. This good gift from God that he gave us, well, it becomes not so good because of sin. It mars the way we think about it. It mars the way that we treat people. It mars the way that we uh, do it unto the Lord. It's frustrating. Students, you ever been frustrated with your school? Parents, you ever get frustrated with your kids? Don't answer that out loud. (laughs) Employees, you ever get frustrated with your boss? Vice versa? School's frustrating. Work's frustrating. Every type of job, even those that that thoroughly enjoy their jobs, which I think I do, find themselves frustrated in their jobs. Something Something we can identify with when we have those moments is just asking, what's the point of this? What's going on? God, why, why am I doing this? And then that's where the work becomes a little bit of a self-process where we're prone to sin even, even more. And, and I'm gonna give us two broad, broad categories and I'm pulling these from a book called The Gospel at Work, which I deeply encourage you. Uh, there's another pastor named David Platt that I have been very strengthened in my faith in this area of work and how it brings God glory and how it's a part of his mission. But one of the ways that we're prone to make idols are prone to sin is to make an idol of our work, I-D-O-L. This happens when we overvalue work in the way that we think it provides ultimate meaning. You spend thousands of hours working tirelessly because you know that it's gonna bring you some sort of significance. We're controlled by our work almost to the level at times where we diminish our love for our family, we diminish our commitment to our local church, we find our identity in that Our devotion becomes exclusive, and most importantly, we lack in our intimacy with Christ. That's when work is an idol. This is dangerous. You know when it's most dangerous? When you're successful. I know this is a temptation for me, not because I've been successful, but I have the inability to rest at times, and I know this because every time I'm forced to take extended time off, God does something uniquely great in my company or with other employees, almost to the fact to say, Jordan, trust me. So when we look at the work as an idol, it's hard to rest, right? We can't put our work aside. We can't put our phone down. We can't put the emails away. So rest almost becomes an enemy. It impedes us. Be careful. The other distortion of, of, uh, sinful distortion of our work is becoming idol in your work. One is making an idol of your work, the other is becoming idol in your work. When we undervalue work, we think it has little to no meaning. This plays out in different ways. For some look at it maybe as laziness, but some other people have the ability to work 40 or 50 hours a week and yet aren't really working. Obviously, I'm not referring to people in this room that may have potentially lost your job and you're looking for work. I'm not addressing people in this room that have um, some sort of disability that keeps them from working. Instead, I'm referring here to people in, uh, that Paul would address in 2 Thessalonians. If you've read Thessalonians 2, or the second book of Thessalonians, Paul basically writes the whole book to say, get a job. <laughs> They're waiting for Jesus to come. They say, man, I think he's gonna come soon. Why are we working? He's gonna come, he's gonna come. And Paul's like, 
hey, this is for Jesus to determine. God knows the time. Get a job. That's, a, that's where we get the famous passage, if anyone's not willing to work, let him not eat. The Bible commands us to work and earn a living as we are able, remembering that God's command was to work six days and rest one, not the reverse. So either we don't work or we work and we just don't care about our work, and the result is a whole host of emotions that we identify with. Joylessness, complaining, discontentment, dissatisfaction, discouragement. Have you ever been around people? That's what they think about work. We lose sight of what God's purpose is in our work. You know what? You know what we do really good in the U.S. and even in my expat community? 85% of the UAE are expats, people from other countries that fly in to work. They normally make a little bit more money than their home country. Um, They can get kind of hidden in the the area of making this money and not having to give extra effort and hard work at times. There's a lot of great redemptive aspects of the country I live in, but I'm just saying this one is a difficult one. But people work to just get by. They just want to get to the end of the week. One person who who really challenges me to avoid this temptation is my wife. As a pediatrician in the hospital and as a, a woman that grew up in a, a small town in Colorado, at a, her dad owned a restaurant, and she would work the weekends quite often. And in the 13 years of being married to her, I've never actually, I can't remember uh, her complaining or grumbling. On her good days, I think she sees her work as loving service to the community that we live in. She wants kids to get healthy. On her bad days, uh, working a weekend day may, may just mean she wants to get away from me, but I'm not sure on that one. All this to say, the idea in our culture that the goal of life is to get to the point where we no longer have to work, this is not what God designed us for. You agree? What is this exalting retirement mentality? Where did this come from, the idea of just not having to work at all? If we're not careful, we're going to miss God's work designed for our work in our retirement, too. I want to be clear. I'm, I'm not talking about those, again, who are physically unable to work. I'm not talking about those who retire from a job and able to serve more. Thank God. If you have a revenue stream in here and you've got to a place in your career where you can give your effort and your energy and your mind to another way of serving, do it. We need that. The world needs that. You don't live for money. I met a man this week in Jennings who said his dad, after uh, spending many years in the armed services, instead of retiring, became a school teacher. Who does that? (laughs) He did. He loves Jesus. That man's the principal, I believe, of the school across the street. I heard about a woman who started a Bible study curriculum that's used by kids and adults all across Africa. She started that when she's 75 years old. She's 90 now. I hear people say, I can't wait to get to heaven where I'm going to rest. But while well, there is rest to heaven, in heaven, I can't wait to hug Bubba. I can't wait to go duck hunting and enjoy a Sabbath there, being in the presence of God. There will also be work in heaven. And you might hear this and throw up your arms and be like, it's never going to (laughs) end. What's going on? But that's where we realize what we're missing. We're missing the point. God designed us to work in good ways. Work is a good gift from a gracious God that we will enjoy for all of eternity. There's There's a difference. Work in heaven won't have sin. Work in heaven won't have frustration. Work in heaven won't have the same struggles associated with work that we have interpersonally. The key that we must be careful to is not to buy into the lie that our culture is selling us, that work at all costs is to be avoided, to be endured, because we have to do it until we just don't have to do it anymore. No, 
Work is a fundamental part of God's great design for us. God desires to save us from that unbiblical view. And we as ordinary people, I'm not gonna place titles on you guys, but look around. We're kind of just ordinary people. God is choosing to empower those that trust in him by his spirit, that lead us by his word. If you wanna know what the Holy Spirit's voice is like and what he says, begin to memorize some scripture. You'll hear it real clear. You'll hear those soft leadings, those places of giving of yourself. It'll align with the way God organized the world. It's beautiful. And God's doing that through his chosen people so that we could be joyfully, fruitfully working in this broken world and calling people to a savior that redeems our work. Which leads me to the gospel. So the gospel is good news, isn't it? We've all sinned. You have all sinned. I have sinned. Everything that we've said, everything that we've thought, everything that we've done that isn't complete objection to the God who loves us, who sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us, for our sins. He rose from the grave and he's victorious over sin so that anyone, anywhere who turns from their sin and trusts in Jesus as Lord and Savior, your life will be forgiven. Your sin will be forgiven. You will be reconciled to a loving God. How does that good news, the gospel, affect the way you work I don't know how much time we have. Is that me or does that also include worship team? Good. That good news affects the way we work in three particular ways. I think we might have them up here in a minute. The gospel secures our salvation, it secures our satisfaction, and it secures our significance. I'm going to work through each one of these real quickly. Am I talking too fast? Thanks. These people say no. I'm really, I'm not sure over here. Okay. Uh, all right. The gospel secures our salvation. It frees us to rest in Jesus' finished work. How many of you can say amen to that? Amen. Let me tell you. Colossians 2 says it. Colossians 2 verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink or with regard to festivals or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are the shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. You hear that? Did you hear what the Bible said? The Sabbath, the rest, was set up by God to point us to Jesus. What we're seeing as we read through the Bible, it's all pointing to Jesus. The picture of rest from labor and trust in a God who loves us is intended to point us to rest in him, to trust in him. So it's no surprise that when we hear Jesus come on the scene in the book of Matthew, we hear him say, Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, all you who labor, and I will give you what? This is the gospel. It's the gospel. You don't have to earn it. God has done the work for you. The work that you want to accomplish, significant salvation, or anything like that, God has done. No amount of work that you can do. In fact, I live in an area of the world, and I think even sometimes in this region, There's a religious idea that I just need to do more. If I do this, God will outweigh the bad with the good, and I'll make it. I'm gonna gonna tell you this once, then I'm gonna tell you it 70 more times. No amount of work you can do can save you from your sins or make you right with Christ. Your relationship comes from resting in the finished work of Jesus. This is big. This is why Martin Luther was so passionate about all work. And not just church work, 
being seen as equally glorifying to God. Because think about it, think about it with me. If our works specifically, our religious works, earn us some kind of favor before God, then it only makes sense that leaders in the church do the most noble work. They have the most favor before God and everybody else is kind of second class. But if we are accepted before God, equal at the foot of the cross, solely based on our faith in him and his work, there is no amount of work we can do, no kind of work we can do to increase you or my status before Jesus. He secured your salvation. If you're here today and you're thinking, man, I just gotta clean up before I come to him. You know what? Lay it down. He'll do the work. He has done the work. We are free to rest in his superior work. Can't work your way to God, guys. I love what Augustine says. You have made us for you, O Lord. And our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. It's good news. It's good news. It changes everything. The second way the gospel affects the way we work is the gospel secures our satisfaction, freeing us from the idolatry of work. We've talked a little bit about this. But just think about it again. When you trust Jesus, you're reconciled to God, which means you've found ultimate meaning in God. You've found the ultimate sense of joy. But in who you know, not in what you do. Your identity is in Christ. My identity, Jordan Belt, is not a recruiter. My identity is a child of God. Your identity is not this profession, that profession. Your identity is as adopted child of God. That means that jobs come and go, but this will stay the same forever. Think about it this way. It changes everything. You're free from looking at your job to find what Jesus has already purchased for you. Ultimate joy, ultimate meaning, ultimate satisfaction. Will you experience frustration, discouragement, and despair at work? Everybody say yes. yes. Sure you will. This is the reality of the world we live in. Work is frustrating. But just as soon as you do this, the realities will remind you, this is gonna be good. Just as soon as you do this, the realities will remind you that your work is not your source of meaning, not your source of joy, not your source of satisfaction, not your identity. Jesus is. Yes, yes. He alone can provide the deepest desire of your soul, soul. So let frustration in your work drive you to satisfaction in Jesus. Last one, the gospel secures our significance. It frees us from idleness in our work. Picture this, Jesus infuses the significance that we need including, as we've mentioned before, even people that feel they may have meaning, menial tasks or jobs. That's it. That's all. What does this mean for your life on Monday morning? Here's the twofold encouragement I have for you. By the grace and power of God, work diligently to display the character of God. I'll say that again. What does this reclaiming the picture of what God has designed in his word. The encouragement I have for you is by the grace and power of God, work diligently to display his character. Listen, Colossians tells us, whatever you do, work, you know, kind of hard. Some days you could just, you know, just take it easy. No, work with all of your heart. The exhaustion that you feel will lead you to dependence on the Savior. It will lead you to cry out to the Holy Spirit, Lord, it's hard to love this person. Lord, I need you, God. I don't have wisdom for this decision. I don't know what to do. For as the Lord 
work for the Lord, not for man, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. I'm gonna take a few notes here. Look, if you're not working for another boss, you're ultimately working for the Lord, here's a few things um, that you can be encouraged in, that you are working as worship this week. If you're writing a memo at your desk this week, if you're cold calling potential customers on the phone, when you prepare a lesson for your class, or in our case in Jennings, you're organizing a whole new classroom. If you're serving food, if you're caring for your children or your grandchildren, if you're managing a company, if you're adjusting a back as a chiropractor, if you're hammering a nail, if you're performing surgery, whatever you do, you're worshiping God with your work. Whatever you do, you're serving Jesus. Discipleship is not only a Bible study. It's not only serving on a Sunday. Yes, that's very good. Please keep doing that. Encourage more to do it. We are called to not forsake gathering. But work with excellence. Work with integrity when no one's watching this week. For respect to others around you, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. I'm gonna finish with this, I think. So when I think about this, I think about um, the second note is the way the gospel changes us is that by the grace of God, we, we can strategically work in places that advance the mission of God. So if all people are not pastors, and we're thankful for them and we need them, they're a part of what God has designed this world to work, God is accomplishing his purposes and his missions around the world. We're called to be salt and light in all types of vocations. So this gospel and the grace of God can penetrate every area of society, every area of culture. As I read Exodus 31 and I just look at this room and I think about all the people in all the different campuses across Louisiana doing different types of jobs in all the kinds of different places, just praying, God, make your glory known in all of these areas, all of these domains, all of these vocations, not just here around the world. We talked about this and I'll continue to talk about what God is doing around the world for this is the joy I have as a recruiter. But when I think about this, I think about the nations and I think about what God is doing having workers do their work well and unashamedly as followers of Christ, I can't help but think of the story of Oasis Hospital. Oasis Hospital in the United Arab Emirates, where I live, during the 1960s, the infant and the maternal mortality rate was as high as 50%. So newborns, one out of every two newborns died. And one out of every three mothers were dying because they lacked basic medical care. This is not good. Sheikh Zayed, the founding father of the UAE, God bless him, heard about the Christian doctors in the region and he invited them to come serve his medical needs of his community. The couple named Pat and Miriam Kennedy came to the UAE and they served through their vocations in the 1960s. They continued doing that for decades, unknown to the rest of the world, relatively unknown. The Sheikh said, look, you've, you've helped me, you've helped my family, you've honored us. I'll give you land. And they set up the first institution to offer medical, modern medical care. 50 years later, they have delivered 130,000 babies. To this day, you can walk into this hospital. There are Bible verses everywhere. The main lobby, you see the, the motto, healing the sick and proclaiming the kingdom of God. This is what happens when, by God's grace, you work diligently to display his character and you work strategically to advance his mission. As we finish, I wanna challenge you to put aside your work this week, to gather, to continue to celebrate what God is doing at times. 
These days are important for us, guys. For those here who have not made that decision to trust in Christ, I pray you will see Jesus as the one who satisfies your desires more than any job, any salary, any title that you'll ever have. Confess your need for him. You'll find that you have nothing to work for to earn his love. He's given you that on the cross. You are free to receive it. I'm not sure what heaven will look like exactly. I'm just looking forward to it. Keep your eyes on eternity, guys. From the beginning, we have a creation that's beautiful and people are working. You know what the end is like? Beautiful relationship with God and people and people are working. We'll serve with joy. We're not gonna just sit around on clouds, be endlessly daydreaming. All of you and me will be working. We're not gonna be grumbling or complaining. We're gonna work in perfect harmony and love for God. I don't know the specifics of what that will look like, but I'm, I know it's good. You were created for work and to rest by God's grace and for his good, our good and for his glory. Let's pray. Oh God, we praise you. I praise you for the instructions you give us on how to live our lives. Your spirit leads, your word instructs, your people encourage us. We're so confused at times. Our culture tells us what work is and tells us what it should be and how we're to approach it, but Lord, you bring clarity. Help us to see the things in your word. Help our church to serve every person that they come in contact with with the love of Christ. I know it's hard work, but you're with us. May you draw near, oh God. Amen.